beauties. Welcome to Rebels on Purpose, a truth-telling podcast where we explore what it means to live boldly with purpose, on purpose. Through real conversations, we anchor radical curiosity, awareness, and love as fundamental tenets of our lives. We commit to relentlessly calling ourselves and one another up through presence, openness, and saying what needs to be said. This show is our way of calling a modern day circle where we focus on freedom, truth, joy, and the celebration of being fully alive. Please join me, Lindsay Nazan, and my bestie, Jamie Matiasen, as we explore the fruits revealed to us through a devoted practice of soul inquiry as we journey towards our sacred responsibility. James. Hey, Linz. Hey, guys. Welcome back, guys. Happy to have you back again to continue our long journey with the Yamas and Niyamas. This week, we are looking at contentment. We're looking at Santosha, which is the next in line Niyama that we're going to share with you about. James, you want to just kind of launch into what Santosha means to you and sort of how you, what, what came up when you were thinking about talking about this today? Well, what initially came up when I was reading through it, I was like, oh, we've been talking about this kind of stuff all along. Just really recognizing the interconnectedness of all of these tenants and these concepts. And so like you, I think I, I look up, what does that word Santosha actually mean? And where, like, where, do, where does the roots come from? So it comes from the root Sam, which means complete or entirely. And Tosha, which means acceptance, satisfaction, or contentment. So putting it together is complete acceptance. That's kind of the words that I put together. And I was like, oh yeah, so we're back to surrendering. <laughs> so like this feeling of like, we just need to find a way to be, okay with whatever is happening in the moment. And I think we really, we did talk quite a bit about this in the last two podcasts. Um, and so it just came back to me again. It's like, oh yeah, this isn't personal. This, this, what is happening around you is not personal. And by personalizing all of these events that come through our, our, my life at any given moment, I really have, what it does is it takes me out of being in the moment and and then it puts me into a fix it if things aren't going well. So if I'm having a bad day, I go into this like, oh, everything is terrible. <laughs> like, it's really easy for me to get into that negative conversation with myself around it. And when everything's great, it's like, oh, my life is perfect and amazing. <laughs> so I think that for me, finding the middle ground, and I really have been looking at this because there has been so much turmoil in my life in the last few months where there's just been really like tidal wave after tidal wave. And that's very dramatic, but just massive life changes that have come along and um, noticing my age and <laughs> my adaptability has, is really different. I, I, I just, I kind of am a creature of habit now a little bit, and I like to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that's changed in the last few months. So really feeling the discontent of, the ine inevitability of change, um, which I already know <laughs> it's like, that's just the one constant in our life and trying to find that middle ground. So it's not so spiky so that contentment is a place that I can return to over and over again and know that that's where my center is, that everything I have and need is right here. And 
the, the spikes that take me up and out or down into the dumps are really, they're fickle and <laughs> fleeting and um, paying attention to that is not easy. And it really, for me, is about coming back to the to pausing to just finding a breath and, and pausing so that I can come back to this place in myself that is undisturbed, that is a place of my true essence, which is content. Yeah. So there's a place inside of you that is always okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's really hard to see it and feel it. Yeah. Well, I think that is kind of the heart of the reason Santosha is number seven (laughs) line of these tenants is because it's very nuanced. It's not overt. It's deep inside. And to access it, we kind of have to get rid of some of these superficial layers and some of these superficial stories and even dig in a little bit to some of the harder things. And then on, you know, deep within that, there is this place inside that's okay. It's always okay. Or it's your true self, or it's your groundedness or your anchor point. I don't know. We could call it a million different things, whatever speaks to, to each, each of us. Um, but I hear you, like there is a, a place inside that's like, oh yes, that, that is whole and complete and okay all the time, even in the stormiest point of my life if I have access to that, it's like a coming home, but to have access to it, there has to be space enough. There has to be enough silence or pause, like you said, to kind of come back into it and then sort of invite it out, like open the door or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It gets buried, right? Like you were talking about the, the negative piece and how when you're having a bad day, then it's the discontent shows up and then it's just like a, a bad title. <laughs> a whirlpool event of like going down, down into the dumps and the negativity bias gets reinforced. And the more that that gets reinforced, I feel like the further away I go from that place in me, that's like, we're good. We're good. No matter what happens, you know, it's weird because that place doesn't change, but I change like the, the superficial change around that one set point. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the, the tie-in with Saucha, where we talk so much about the decluttering of our life, it's like, oh yeah, that's another reason that we have to declutter is so that we know how to get back to the home ground um, quicker. For me, that's the thing. It's like, I don't want to be away so long that I forget that that place, I have that in me, that space. I don't want to have to climb over obstacles. Like I picture it as like a messy house and I want to get back to the heart of my house where I know everything I have, what I need is right there, but I have to climb over mountains of garbage and clutter and, and noise. Um, so the decluttering process for me goes so well with this one of like, oh yeah, if you just, if you keep things simpler and you, you clean up the stuff around you that doesn't need to be there, whatever that is, mental, emotional, physical, that the pathway back into, in and out of this place is just easier to tread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's my hope. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it's, it, what I hear from what you're saying is this ability to be more present because there isn't things in the way that are either pulling you into the past or dragging you towards the future. You know, And I mean, that's what clutter does. Like think about your closet, like all the clothes that I still have in my closet from high school or working at Lululemon or the time when I worked that office job that I hated and I still have the suit pants in my closet. Like what the heck? These are all real things I have in my closet, by the way. So that all of that keeps me in the past, right? The minute I look at those pants, I'm like, oh, 
you know, <laughs> I have an office, an office job. Like, is there some attachment to that? Like, it takes up space. It's so, it is so ridiculous. Jamie's laughing at me, but it's, you know, it's real. Those are real things that, that push and pull on us from that set point and kind of keep us away from it. And it's not that nostalgia is bad. It's not that having goals and dreaming about the future is bad. It's about the attachment we have to those past and future things that take us away from the now and change that set point, right? Or try to manipulate it. Yeah, I think those are really those are really tangible examples. Like the closet is a real place where people hold on to things. And what this drags up in us is well for me specifically is the not enoughness it's like oh when I have this I'll, I'll I'll be that and when I get there I'll have this like that constant chasing outside of myself of um, looking for the contentment outside you know if, if if I if I could just run a little bit faster then I would feel better in my marathon running or whatever it is that it all comes back to the same narrative of like I'm not enough right now. There's this level of scarcity and there's a, a level of not good enough that just gets, keeps getting fed. And so I think Santosha is a really great punctuation mark on giving a break to the narrative of like breaking up that narrative. It's like, oh, can I just actually check in here for a second? Like my friend just got a new car and I'm driving a 23 year old car and it does, it does activate things in you right around this. And if I can be, so I do this <laughs> every time I start my car, cause I literally drive a 2001 civic. I'm like, thanks Floyd. Like I, you've got, like, I literally am grateful for what I have in that moment because yes, her car's name is Floyd. Yes. My car's name is Floyd, <laughs> which your husband named. <laughs> Uh, but there is, that is the part of this practice for me. It's like, yes, envy and jealousy and all the wants outside of myself of like chasing the next greatest thing are the greatest. Uh, these are the greatest things that feed this not enoughness in, in me. And when I actually get to the root and the heart of it, I actually don't care about that stuff, but I've also been conditioned to care about those things. Every time I open a social media page or every time I look at a magazine or walk through a store, there's a constant barbarment of that. We don't have enough of what we need to be happy and joyful and content in our lives. And so I really try to take those moments. I think Brene Brown calls it like actively active gratitude, where it's not just lip service, but there's an actual articulation of what you are grateful for. And I think that is one of one of the most important pieces for me is because I'm not very good at gratitude. <laughs> I've talked about this before of like, I don't have a real touch on like, what does it, what does it actually mean? Like, what is the tone and the physicality of that in my body? What does it really feel like? And so practicing that it's like, oh, I am really grateful that my car started. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just really grateful that I don't have to like throw my car away and contribute to the other things in my life that I actually really care about the other problems in, in the world that I, I really truly care about. So these little things have to be a daily practice for me, truly. Yeah. Cause it's too easy to go to go down the other route. Oh, completely. Yeah. And I, you know, when I was in Vancouver this weekend, as were you, we went to a concert and I said this to Ari, like we went out for a meal on Friday afternoon or we people watching. And then, you know, we went out 
to the concert in the evening and we were people watching and the whole, the whole event was really taking people in and just watching the culture of Vancouver and the Joneses chasing after the other Joneses, the whole, Mm -hmm. the whole way around and how quickly I could feel my nervous system activate for one thing. And on the wings of that, how quickly I could feel my ego mind start to grab onto like, I need to dress better. I should probably buy some new clothes. I don't, our car isn't nice enough. Like I could feel all these things just sort of starting to climb on top of me. I was very aware of it. So I just said it to Ari. I was like, wow, I, we've been here for like five hours and I can already feel this old story of me in me that says you should keep up with these people. Um, and I was like, I have no interest in keeping up with these people like <laughs> at all, but it's so deeply ingrained in my psyche from young, from a young age of being an eighties, nineties kid of the way I was raised and the family that I was raised in of this is what you do, you know? And then the, when the culture is strong enough and the current of the culture is strong enough, it pulls you. Oh yeah. And I could feel that in Vancouver. And I was like, Whoa, this is why I don't like being here. Like I really have a small quotient of tolerance, for how long I can spend in Vancouver before I actually start to feel agitated. <laughs> and I hit that quotient. We were there for 48 hours and Ari and I both were like, let's get, the, let's get the hell out of here. You know, yeah. Yeah. We downtown, it was a lot. It was a weekend, yeah. it was all the things there, but it, it was very noticeable. And I found that fascinating from the standpoint of Santosha of how quickly I could see if I lived there that I would get knocked off center and I get pulled away from that and how much harder I would have to work to stay centered. But it just sort of made me really realize like, this is actually a really hard task when you're in a culture that's current is so strong. Yeah. yeah. Right? So what did you do to get back? Like when those moments were happening, I continued to talk about it. So I would, I just would say it out loud, like that, that was happening. And Ari was kind of surprised when I said that he was like, really like, wow. And I, I said, yeah, it's, it's there. It's in me. It's noticeable. And then when I would feel that I would just think about my my life and I would actually come back to gratitude. I was, you know, I would come back to the gratitude of the home that I have and my small little life here in Victoria with my dogs, like thinking about the, the joy of my work and the small community that I engage with and how we all wear dirty clothes every day, training dogs and nobody cares. Like I literally had those thoughts go through my head and just sort of reminded myself that's actually where I feel at home. I don't feel at home in Vancouver. I didn't feel at home there. And so that contrast was really helpful for me. It was like, I'm a guest here and that's cool. And I like that. And I'll stay for a minute, (laughs) but the recognition that it's not actually who I am, that those are just conditioned thoughts that are moving through my system and they don't actually have to have an impact that does one thing or another to my system. Um, So that was helpful. Yeah. And, and just outing it, outing that, that, that was there. Yeah. Yeah, of course, that always helps, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like the best antidote for things that seem to have a direct connection to shame, because if I go down the rabbit hole of that, like that's what it ends up as, is like, I'm ashamed that I'm not enough, don't have enough, don't make enough money, da 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 right? So yeah, when it's threaded back to shame, I feel like outing it is the best antidote. Putting words to it seems to help it dissolve a bit. Absolutely, I I fully agree with that, the I have a word written down here in my notes was striving. And that is the one thing that happens, right? There's a striving in our culture to produce more, to be more, to have more, all of those things. And I just feel this is so 
closely connected to Santosha because it's the opposite of, of what contentment is. And it's like, you're going to get the new car. You're not, it's going to be great and shiny for a couple of weeks. And then it's just going to be now what, what's the next thing, right? We're just chasing the next thing. And like you said, like our culture has conditioned us to think like that, but it's up to us to not get sucked into that. Like it's a slippery slope. And that's, you know, when I remember when I first moved here to Calgary, that it was, it's an oil and gas town. So there's a ton of money here. And then there was the crash and I think it was around 2012 or, and we had the floods, like there was massive things that happened that really dismantled people's stability or their sense of stability financially and otherwise. And I knew people who were in the midst of building mansions while living in seven bedroom houses. There was just so much abundance in terms of finances. And then it all came crashing down and people were in trouble, like really in trouble. And it was a reminder of like, oh, I have this very simple little existence. <laughs> and I, at that time, I really didn't have much like material wise in terms of finance, financial material. But I was, I remember thinking to myself, thank God, like, yeah, it's stressful to not have a ton of money, but it's way more stressful <laughs> to be overextended in the other direction. And that again, brings me back to this place of like this, of just being so grateful for the small um, life that I have cultivated, that I love, that is so fulfilling. And like you, I get pulled out, I get pulled out and I get sucked in and it's, it's a constant, it's a daily practice. It's a daily awareness around coming back to the moment that's right in front of you and just being okay with what is right there, whether it's uncomfortable or not, that that's where you're at. Got to kind of be there. Yeah, you've got to be there. And I think this conversation around this daily practice and it being a daily practice is something that we have worked towards. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of years that I stayed home and didn't see people or go out a lot because this was deep, deep work of shadow where I was looking at these realities in myself and I was kind of dissecting slash investigating the whys and the hows of where these all came from for me beyond the greater culture, just conditioning me, but like what, how I've attached my narratives to it and, and the nuances of that, because otherwise it just, when you're out there, you get swept away and it's overwhelming to even try to process it in real time. So I, I wanted to say like, I've done some of that. I know you have too, like done some of this work behind the scenes, like not sitting at a restaurant in downtown Vancouver, looking at why I'm, you know, noticing that feeling it's because I can do that now because I've done some of this other foundational work of really looking at and investigating gently why I feel that way and, and what pulls me, you know, because even saying our small little lives is very interesting, right? Like what, what makes our lives small? The only thing that makes our life makes us say and use the language that our lives are small is because we are conditioned that being a superstar celebrity is the only way you get a big life or that you're, or you're rich. Like, and I know you and I don't believe that that's true intellectually, but there is a subconscious programming that's telling us like, we have small lives. It's like, do we though? Like, what is a small life? I mean, this is very meta, but that's the real thing when you really look at it. And so doing some of that other work of looking at what are the pillars that ground you in your life. Like I look at the pillars that ground me. And that's one of the things that helped me this weekend is remembering what those things are, you know, and 
they might seem like small, insignificant things, but in my daily life, they're absolutely huge <laughs> things. You know, if yeah. I put them all together, uh, and that's personal to me. And I think when I have a good sense of that, it makes everything else way more manageable. It makes me less um, malleable to the current or less like whimsy to the current. And it makes me more resilient and grounded in my own knowing of who I am and what works for me. Yeah. Yeah. When I have that, Santosha is just right there, right? Like contentment is available to me when I am not expecting the world to fulfill my needs externally. When I'm like, looking at the internal truth of, of, of goodness inside of who I am and my yeah. life. Yeah. It's funny when you said that smallness, it, it felt like poison coming out of my mouth when I said it, I was like, small is not the right word, but it's, there's something because we've spent the last few years tra- learning how to try to take up space. Right. And so small is not the right word, but I guess it's, you know, the term stamp collecting. Like I, I don't need to have seven, 17,000 followers on social media. I don't need to have, I don't need to have a lot of people in my life. I just need to have people who meet me and see me and al- allow my humanness to be in the relationship. And I guess that's what I'm, I mean by small, because that, that helps me stay content, right. Where I'm, because if I get too spread out where I'm trying to be everything to everyone or connect with every community, if there's a fear of I'm going to miss out on something in, in my work, then that's when I get spread and it feels that's when these things get activated. These feelings of not enoughness, they really get activated in those places. When I stay in the, in my bubble or I stay with people that I can, I can be safe, that I feel safe with and I can do the hard work with, then I feel, I feel the contentment. I have way easier access to it. And that allows me to be vulnerable, my community of tight-knit people who, who really sees me. And then the vulnerability leads to um, the joy in my life, right? Like when I can actually be seen and I can, I can just let myself be. And there's something about that that I want more of. That's how I want to live my life. I just want to be seen in my life and I want to be, I want to be able to make mistakes and not have to worry about what that's going to mean in my community. Um, and I know it's, and there's something about that, that feeling, it feels like home. Like you talked about coming home, like that feeling is where I want to live. Yep. To spread out. If I start to, you know, I had a different experience in Vancouver because we were in Steveson in this tiny little wharf town, you know, 25 kilometers from downtown Vancouver. And I was so content there also because all the chaos of home wasn't with me. So there was, I was just so grateful for everything. I'm like, I love this place. I just, there was something about all the ease and the presence that I could have because there, I don't know. I was just there. I was just there. And um, I was like, this is how I want to feel in my life. And I have access to this because it wasn't about anything I was buying or doing or having. It was about the beingness of, of me and my partner in this tiny little community and just being able to just be sitting on a log in the ocean, you know, like that, that level of contentment. I was like, this is all I actually need. I have everything right here. Like there's nothing's missing and it's harder. I mean, that's easier to access for me on vacation than when I'm home with teenagers and dogs and cats and work and like everybody else. Right. And it's accessible. It is here. It's, 
it just requires a little bit more work, I think. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, this interesting contrast that we had of our differing experiences of being in Vancouver, you know, I was laying in bed on Saturday or Friday night. Uh, we stayed in a loft downtown Vancouver and it was incredibly loud. Like the, we were on like downtown core Seymour street, like right by the nightclubs. And so we didn't get any sleep because there was partying going on the whole night. And then fighting going on after the night was over people screaming in the streets and the cops coming and going ambulances coming and going like it was nonstop. And I was laying in bed and I was very aware of the level of exhaustion. Like I traveled last weekend, I was in California. It's been nonstop. And then I went right back to work. Like I haven't set myself up very well for rest time. And so I was recognizing that I'm laying there and sort of like joints are throbbing. I'm tired and I can feel Ari is like just so annoyed that he's having to listen to what he does for a living outside of his win the window, you know, with the police and everything. And, but I was laying there and I was like, I am hundred percent safe up here. I am with the person that I love the most. I had a wonderful night at this concert, which was amazing and nourishing. And like, there's so many reasons to not make this a big deal. Like I could, I could get really upset about it. I'm not going to say I was content and like, oh, this is the most joyful experience listening to these people punching each other down below. It wasn't. And I was okay. I was like, there was that set point inside that I had access to of like, tomorrow I will rest. And the next day I will rest and I will find my way back to my body feeling like it's okay. So there's this piece of like mind body comparison or mind body contrast. I think when we talk about contentment as well, because there's times when mentally I'm very content and physically I'm very not content you know, yeah. I'm a cerebral person. I'm a heady person. I'm like FOMO. Let's do it. All the things all the day long type of person in my mind. But my little body often is like dragging behind me going, can we have a rest now? I'm really tired, <laughs> you know? And so I have to negotiate with both. And it's like, well, what does contentment, how do I actually know that I'm content then if those things are not lining up? And, you know, I was listening to a podcast with Glennon Doyle. She was talking about body being a being a body and bodying she calls it bodying which I think is such a funny reference right it's kind of like thinking mm -hmm. but it's bodying and so because I was I've been thinking ever since you asked me the question how did you navigate when you these stories started to come up when you were people watching and I think what really helped me was I was bodying and mm -hmm. I was checking in with my physical body of like noticing the feelings that were rising in the physical. And then I was talking about them out of my mouth through my mind and my emotions. And what that did was it helped me regulate. Mm. So even when I was laying there in bed, I was like, I could feel my body was uncomfortable. I was like a little bit agitated. I could feel like there was a feeling of nervousness almost of like, are we safe up here? Like, this is a weird place. I've never slept here before, but like mentally I was just exhausted. It was like, I just need a nap. I just want to sleep, you know? And then I, so then I kind of had this feedback loop with my body and my mind and just sort of checked in. And then I let them kind of come into alignment through, mm. you know, calming down my breathing, just honestly accepting the fact that I wasn't going to get a hint of sleep. I was like, I'm just going to lay here and rest because there's nothing else I can do. I'm not falling asleep. Every time I fall asleep, I get woken up. So just let it go and just rest, you know? And yeah. so there was an acceptance inside of that. I don't know that I would say I was in Santosha. It wasn't, I wasn't necessarily in like bliss, but 
this is where I think the nuance of Santosha is important that we talk about because we're not saying that it's that you want for nothing and you're just happy all the time. That's not what this is. There is a, there's a truthfulness of being in the moment that means you can accept what's the, what's in the moment, even if it's something you don't really like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think acceptance is like the key. And I mean, that was the, that was the definition that resonated for me was complete acceptance. Like whether you like it or not, it's happening. (laughs) So you can fight it, which is what we choose sometimes, or we can just let go and let it go through. And that's what we choose sometimes, or we can really embrace it. Like there are, there are times where you can kind of embrace the the harshness of something that's happening and just lean into it. See what it's going to teach you. See what it's going to show you on the other side. Like, and I don't want to bright side things, but like, sometimes there's something to be learned in that, you know, of just accepting it and say like, what am I going to do with this? This is happening. So what am I going to do about it? Um, One of the things that Deb talks about in her book, that was a game changer for me. And I still do this to this day is tracing the disturbance back to myself. And that level of accountability that that practice provides changed a lot of things for me where I had to come back to myself And I, it, because it was too easy for me to just put it out on someone else, right? Just like I'm looking outside myself for the contentment or the joy or whatever it is, the satisfaction of my life. It's too easy to off gas the things that are uncomfortable and put it out on the world and say, well, it's just because of X, Y, and Z and this person and that person. And to really notice when you are uncomfortable or when you are disturbed in some way, can you bring that feeling back to yourself? And at first I did not enjoy that practice. (laughs) I was like, this is not how I do things, (laughs) but it really changed a lot for me in my accountability for my own life. And I really, I embrace that practice now. And I, I share that practice a lot in, in the courses that I teach and in the teacher trainings and even in my yoga classes, like when something comes up and it pings you and you are uncomfortable and you want to flee, or you get really worked up about something can you just take a breath and see what it is in you that's getting activated because it's the same thing it's like this isn't personal necessarily this isn't about you this moment that's happening that you're all freaked out about something has activated a thing in you that is uncomfortable so are you going to look at it are you going to just fling it out back into the universe you have lots of options here there's many choices that you can make um but something about this practice really helped me be just take responsibility for my life and take responsibility for my own contentment. It's like, I get to actually choose where I'm going to go with this. And that's what we can control. Like if you want to control something, that's something you can control. Most of it you can't, but that is one thing that you can really work with and learn a lot about yourself. Oh yeah. Huge amounts, huge amounts. I agree. And I, I, I love that practice. Uh, I have for a very long time. I think that, you know, Deb talks in the book about how discontentment is the illusion that there can be something else in this moment, something different. And when you really sit with that connect in connection to this practice of tracing the disturbance back to myself, what it shows me is that I am trying to avoid 
a wound or a type of emotion or a type of energy that lives inside me in that moment, I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid that. I don't want to feel that, or I want to move it and make it different or manipulate it or, you know, transform it somehow. Mm -hmm. And so it prevents you from being present and it prevents me from actually being with what is inside which is why this is a niyama and not a yama because it's, it is from the inside first. Right. And so tracing it back allows us to really sit with what's inside of us and then get back to that set point of presence and being in gratitude with life. And then from there, you can actually see clearly what is yours, right? Mm -hmm. Because like you're saying, like, it's not about you, but it is about you (laughs) because the situation 99% of the time isn't about you right? Or if it isn't about something you've done or not done or whatever, but it is about the way you are responding and reacting and, or behaving in relationship to the dynamic of the present moment. And so that's on us, right? That's our responsibility. And when we're so caught up in the dynamics, we don't even notice, we don't even notice our peace. We don't notice our part. We don't necessarily notice what we're feeling or even worse. We don't notice how we're behaving, you know? Yeah, it it is a big one. It's it takes a brave heart to look at this because you have to take so much responsibility for for how you're feeling. And like you said, like that's that's not a, a practice that many of us are skilled in. Is like feeling our feelings and just owning that, just letting that be there in in the space and not make it bad or wrong or having to change it, but to just really acknowledge what is happening, you know. And these things that that are unhealed in us or activated by whatever it is, X, Y, Z that happened, they're legitimate. This is, you know, this is part of who you are. And there is a calling there in that moment to look at something that, that needs your attention, that needs either, maybe it needs to be loved by you or accepted by you, or just witnessed even um, to, to be seen to that part of you to be seen in that moment. And like you said, the avoidance of that is so easy to, it's just so easy to just push it somewhere else, but it will always come back. (laughs) These are the, the greatest lessons I've learned about myself have come through that practice. I think of like, you actually have to look at this right now. I know it sucks and it's uncomfortable. (laughs) And, you know, I've, I've, I've done that work inside myself and I've also had to do that work with other people. So you know, not being able to see what that is, is really hard, you know, and sometimes you have to talk about these things and say, like, right now, I'm having all of this stuff come up, and I'm not really sure why. And somebody can sit with me through that and help shine lights on those pieces of myself, then I can start to do the work on my own. This, this isn't something that happens overnight. uh, But just the noticing piece of like, okay, I'm bugged right now. What is that? And this is in this is in me that I have to look at, not like, oh, well, the lady didn't make my cake right. Like it's it that's the the trigger, <laughs> but it ain't about the cake. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do I do feel like this is a, a big piece of how I have found more contentment in my life and how I have found um better presence in my relationships, a more truthful place in my relationships. Mm-hmm. because I can say that statement that Brene Brown always talks about. It's like the story I'm telling myself right now is like, this is, or this is what's happening. And I just had this conversation with my partner and it's like, I know this probably isn't what you're saying, but this is how it's feeling in my body right now. So it's bringing up something for me. Mm-hmm. And then there's an opportunity for growth and 
yeah, to move it forward, right? And to learn more about the person that you're in relationship with. And that's that's what's most important to me in my life is my relationships, you know, the people that are around me and who care about me. So I have to do that work on myself. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And the mind will always go, like the untrained mind will always go to the lowest common denominator of narrative, right? So the negativity bias will come up, the ego story will come up, if we don't have any tools mentally and energetically to shift that and to recognize it or catch it and then shift it or breathe through it or at the very notice it, allow it and let it rise and then be with it. Uh, it will take us down that foxhole really, really deep and dark. And then you're kind of stuck in the swirl for as long as it takes, you know, which could be your whole freaking life. If you never take a look, right. You never slow down enough to really see what's there. It's so true. Like that, what you just said is like, I've been really playing with this. I feel like I've, I've regressed slightly in my spiritual growth in some avenues, but I'm not ashamed. I will talk about this. Um, I am struggling with, with allergies with our, with my partner's dog, who's just moved in. And so I'm not sleeping very well. And I'm, so I'm having, it's like a cascade of all of these things. What I have been noticing in myself is that I'm letting it take over everything. Like I went for a really hard bike ride on gravel and I was exhausted because I didn't sleep the night before. So I spent like the first 20 K pedaling uphill through loose gravel, hating on this animal, (laughs) really like just pushing everything onto it, you know? And I I said to my partner after he would, I would catch up to him at the hill and I'd be like, yeah, I can't talk right now because I'm really mad at the dog. He's like, I get it. Let's just keep going. <laughs> so he just, he let me work it out in my sweat, which is a really good way for me to process things. But, you know, I said to him the other day, I was like, what, I, what I've realized is like, this is what we've chosen to do right now. This is where we're at. And there's no real action steps right now. There's a few action steps that we're taking, but I can either let this just railroad everything and mean everything, or I can just, you know, acknowledge it and then come back to going, okay, but it's not everything, <laughs> you know, like I can still ride my bike. It, it it was just a really interesting practice over the last few months of watching how easy it is for me to go down and just blame everything on one thing for the demise of my life. And then the negativity bias just takes over. And it's like, now I'm fucking miserable. And that's my choice. Like I chose those things. Yes, I didn't choose to have the allergy, but it doesn't have to mean as much as it's meaning. And so I've really caught myself with that. It's like, you actually need to have a little meditation time before you go out or before you go to bed. Because if I lay there and I itch and scratch in bed, I go into the hating the dog thing. It's not the dog's fault. I like this dog a lot. So there's these things that are teachers for us. And I've like, oh yeah, this is, this is an old way I used to be. Like, I really used to let things really just run me into the ground. I would take this one thing and make it mean everything. And so I never had that feeling of, oh, you're actually good. You know, like whether it was scarcity or um, whatever it was, the bad mood or the working too hard or whatever it was, I would make the one thing that triggered it mean everything instead of bringing it back to myself and looking at what that relationship is within me from this catalyst, whatever the catalyst was. And I'm still doing that. This is new. This is a fresh story that happened last week. (laughs) Like this is a constant practice. Yeah. I mean, it is truly a form of resistance training when I Mm -hmm. really sit with listening to you just, and I've been watching you go through this for the last three months and I'm looking at 
the fact that I'm 41 years old and all the research is like, you need to lift heavy things a couple times a week, if not more, and you know, not so many repetitions. It's this interesting transition that I'm in. Of, I go hard for a long time. And now it's like, no, go hard for a short time and get better <laughs> results. And, you know, I hear what you're saying in this as well as self-importance is always going to make us want to be offended or get insulted or complain or <laughs> lazy or not have to do something about it. Yeah. So the more self-centered we get in this, in the drama of whatever it is that's going on in our, in our life, the more that takes over and becomes easier to rely on. And then we just get lazier and lazier. And I don't mean lazy in like physical way, but it kind of goes hand in hand with the physical way of like lifting heavy things is really hard. It's harder than just going for a jog for 20 minutes and like kind of half-assing it or, well, Jamie's saying, she's saying she's Actually, like, you are. <laughs> okay. I would or, rather heavy things. <laughs> you know, or like go for a swim or ride a bike or like yeah. just walk the dog at a swift pace for 20 minutes. Like it's just interesting for me in my experience that feels harder because there's more technique and intelligence around it and a little bit more process of doing it right or something. And so I, I don't know, I'm just seeing a really interesting overlay when I was listening to you talk about the dog thing. I'm like, oh, this is so fascinating because they're not actually that different. Mm -hmm. And so you look at how hard it is for people to maintain a workout regimen, or like where they lift weights, particularly women, because of the conditioning of like, no, we should just run, 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 cardio, 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 do that for your whole life and you'll be perfect. You know, like that, that we know that that's not actually true. It's literally in the research telling us it's not true. And it's the same in our minds, right? Like this, the more, so I think a great tool that has really helped me, which I just realized while you were talking mm -hmm. is taking the perspective of another is mm -hmm. a huge tool for Santosha because, you know, when I was watching these fit people go by at, at the restaurant and like drive by in their sports cars and rock <laughs> their like stilettos and all the things that I would never even want to wear, even if I could or had the money to buy them, probably wouldn't choose that. But, you know, while I was looking at, it, I was also looking at their body and their being and their, the quality of their energy as they were going by. I'm like, wonder what that person feels like on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of imagining what it would be like in their shoes, literally and figuratively, you know, <laughs> it often would get, just bring me back to myself of like, huh, that wouldn't work for me. Like, I don't know why I would want to compare myself to that then. Like it, it helped me come back to my center. It's, it's not intuitive though, because I'm actually thinking about someone else. I'm putting myself in their shoes. I'm still thinking about myself, but I am thinking about their life. And like, I wonder where that person's going. I wonder what, what their life is like. And that perspective of thinking about other people first helps me know who I am. Mm -hmm. And it, and it helps me have perspective so that I recognize that there is gratitude right there, like mm -hmm. right there for the taking in that very moment. Even if there's discomfort happening in other parts of my life or something like it's just, it makes it, I don't know. It's a, it's a direct route for me. A hundred percent. Like when you, as when you started talking about that, it was like, oh yeah. Like I used you in that when I was training for the half Ironman the first time, because I think you were quite sick at that time. The first time I went through and I was like, yeah. And you, I would, you, I would channel like 
what does it feel like to not be able to do these hard things, you know, like to want to do these things and not be able to. And I know it's not the exact same that you're talking about, but it, it really gives you some perspective of like, when you get into the stories of like, this is too hard for me, that's a really big story. It's like, I can't do it. It's too hard. That's really a really big thing I've tried to overcome. And thinking, thinking about how other people, like what a privilege it is. Like, so it brings me back to the gratitude of like, I am so grateful that I can move my body. I really had to do that. I had to tap into that sometimes to get over the story in my head that I couldn't do it or that this wasn't for me or whatever it was, whatever the narrative that was there. And that it really does help. And it cultivates compassion and all of the other things in our world that are seem to be a little bit lacking. And again, it it is (laughs) self-serving, but it also is, it was a heart thing for me with you too. It was like, my friend would love to be able to do this. Like truly like that, that was a, a good motivator to bring me back to my intrinsic whys. Like you were talking about earlier, like your pillars, it brings you back to like, what do you actually care about and what matters to you? And that's why these relationships like close relationships or even a stranger walking by on the street is to think about like, Hmm, I wonder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think it's such a, a powerful resource for me personally. You know, I was listening again to this podcast and they were talking about being a sensitive person and they were asking the person they were interviewing, like, what makes you a sensitive person? And she was like literally referencing, well, the word Winnebago conjures up this entire experience inside of her body what it makes her feel like versus the term sheet cake (laughs) (laughs) you know like the difference in the feeling that you have about it and then so then that led her kind of down the road of talking about being a sensitive person and I identify as a sensitive person and for most of my life it was a negative thing I was constantly called a too sensitive of a person in my life you know and I thought it was a deficit and I've come to very much realize that I wouldn't be anywhere that I am in my life if I had wasn't a sensitive person. It's why I'm good at what I do. It's why I have the relationships that I have. It serves me in every way. And yes, I do believe it's part of why I have an autoimmune disease. However, it also serves. And so it's just fascinating to recognize that not everybody's necessarily like that. I think we all have the capacity to be that way, but not everybody is that way. And so things that come easy to me, like taking perspective, like looking at it from someone through someone else's eyes is not that hard for me. I don't find that that difficult, which is why when I'm walking downtown Vancouver and I see the amount of filth and sadness that is going on, like I come home crying about it. Like it's very difficult for me emotionally to be in that and and absorbing it and feeling the feelings of what these, some of these poor people are going through. Other people is like, not even, it's not even a thing. And that's not good or bad one way or the other. It's just, it informs this practice for me in a huge way on both sides. You know, I think it can, it can bring a lot of discontent too. It can really take, make you crash and burn emotionally. If you don't find the presence inside of it and the beingness inside of it of like, I'm okay. Even though I feel this depth of despair. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. It's like, I am okay, even though. I feel, I feel all these feelings right now. And I think one of the harder things is for the people around us, because I, I would identify similarly to you. I'm sensitive in a different way, but I feel all those feelings and the, the pain of the world around me really impacts me. And that isn't, that isn't how everybody sees the world. And 
when we let that be there, I think that helps, you know, instead of like being told that we cry too much or we're too sensitive or whatever it is, whatever that story that's been handed to us over this, that changes things. It lets other people start to pause and think like the people that I care about, like in my life, you know, just seeing the world in a different, through different, a different lens. And like you said, it's not good or bad in any other way. It's just like to stop and really see what's happening around you and learning from the people around you who are seeing the world in a different way. And we are not very good at that anymore. I don't know if we ever were, but I feel like since the pandemic, the the polarity in our views of the world have really made it really hard to, for us to have any of this compassion um, and to see the world as others may see it and experience it and, and not have to change anybody's mind about it or change who we are because of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, I think I find that really challenging right now. Yeah. You know, it makes me think about the idea of permanence. I think that is a big piece of Santosha is like, as human beings in our nature, we are seeking pleasure and avoiding pain, right? And so much of what we do in our society is affirm that there is actually a way to make pleasure permanent and that you can avoid pain there. That's what the entire basis of our pharmaceutical culture is built on our wellness culture. Like it's kind of wild. So I think that's where we have some work to do as a global Mm -hmm. community with understanding that nothing is permanent. And in fact, if it was permanent, we would all be in hell because I heard this quote and I wrote it down, like living forever would be horrible. Hell is eternal. And that's why it's awful. If we lived forever, we wouldn't, it's like being a vampire. No vampire is happy. Have you ever met a happy vampire? Like, uh, well, Ari probably has, but I was going to say, I better not let Ari listen to this. Cause he'll be like, there's tons of happy vampires. I would feel like I would be a happy vampire. You know, really? You want to live forever? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. You're wrecking my whole premise here, but. (laughs) But being a vampire is not the same as being a human living forever either. No, it's true, right? Different feelings, different experience. And, but that was the point of the quote is like, hell is hot for a reason because it's horrible. It's painful. It's pleasure is only good for a time. And so if we're always, if there's no contrast, we don't know what it is, right? We don't know it's blue unless we see something else. Like it's one of the, it's that whole reality of, of humanity. And I think it's really easy to forget about that because we're just living in the world of stimulus all the time, but instant gratification. yes, instant gratification and affirmation and this polarity that we have in our culture right now of like, I'm in this camp and you're in that camp. So we're going to cancel yeah. each other out <laughs> is is very much seeking this permanence. And it's like, that's actually a problem. That's problematic because it's impossible because it's, it's going to evolve. It will evolve in a, in this way or in that way. And we want to live without you and your opinions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the more we can just unattach to that stuff, it doesn't mean we don't have desires. Like this is circling mm-hmm. back around to like, we're not talking about not wanting things. We're not talking about you're not allowed to have a desire or a okay. wanting it's we're talking about how that desire prevents you from being yourself right now and being with the moment right now and accepting that life is complete in this moment right now yes. and having or not having something tomorrow is going to make any difference at all. Yeah. And it's not, it's not going to change your happiness or the contentment you have in your life 
if it doesn't pan out the way you thought it was going to pan out, there's something else, you know, it's like the trusting that your life is unfolding as it should. And we're just, we're really bad at that. We're really very unskilled in just kind of getting out of the way a little bit and trying not to control every little thing. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I see, I see it so much in raising teenagers of, of that, like that skill set that is something you learn as you age, you know, of hopefully that really don't get to control a lot of things. (laughs) So you can just be right here with this and it can be uncomfortable and it will pass. It's not permanent. Like you were talking about like this, this too shall pass is, you know, a real thing and having goals is okay, you know, but don't hang on too tight. (laughs) Yeah. Don't identify with the goal. Like, you know, and I know this flies in the face of a lot of like self-development of become the goal manifested and be it and live it and meditate about it every day. Like I understand that I've lived that I, and I've actualized things from that place. There's a place for that, but if you can't let it go at the very same moment as, as doing the work and practice to manifest it, you're fucked. It will bite you in the ass. You will be disappointed because you will always be, to come back to the word you used at the beginning, you will always be striving. You will always be grasping. And so in the book, Deb talks about with Santosha, the ways that she sort of learned to feel when she was either in longing, which meant she was discontent, or she was in lack or scarcity, meant she was in discontent. She felt something in her body. And so I think she defined it as like, it was a gripping sensation. And she was trying to hold on to something or get pleasure. And then it was like a tenseness in her body. If she was feeling scarcity or feeling lack. Yeah. I think that is one of the things that you actually have to identify if you're going to do this work is you actually have to know what those things feel like physically in your body. I really identified with the scarcity thing and scarcity would bring anxiety. So it would bring up this swirling feeling of like, I don't, I, I can't do this or I'm not going to have enough or I'm not going to be able to meet my needs or that, that's real scarcity of like not meeting the hierarchy of needs for me and my children would bring up so much anxiety. And then the grabbiness that would come with that of like, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to grab everything that I can. Um, and it never solved anything. All it did was make me sick, right? It just, it just brought so much dis-ease in my body and my life. And, but letting go of that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, like trusting, like truly trusting. And so what the practice was for me to shift that was to pause in those moments when scarcity comes and it still comes. I believe that I will probably always have a relationship with this, this totem of my life. And now I'm, I, I really do just stop in the moment. And I'm like, look around you, you are good. It is all okay right now in this moment. Look around you. I really will have to stop myself. And then the narrative stops, right? This The narrative that will go at like Mach 10 in my head and take me away before I even know what's happened. Um, but that took so much practice. And it starts with identifying the feeling of that, whatever the discontent is that's there, or whatever the, the narrative that's there. And then whatever follows that, like you have to really be intimate. And that's why the drawing the disturbances back to yourself, like all of those things are so intertwined to unraveling this and and finding more contentment in your life. And it is hard work and it is constant. Like this been at this for 10 years, but I do know 
it's gotten easier. I know what scarcity feels like and I can stop that shit right now. It might spin a bit more, <laughs> you know, for a couple of minutes, but I can literally catch it in minutes now. Mm-hmm. And then I actually have to pause. I have to stop what I'm doing and acknowledge it and go, oh shit, look where you are. But now look around you, like you are good. You have got more than you will ever need, honestly, in this lifetime. So I think that's that's something that, you know, that's a starting step that it's, it's fundamental for all of these tenants, really. It's like, you have to know what it feels like in your body. You have to know intimately your patterns and your narratives and all your shadow shit that's, that's there, whether you like it or not. And then you can actually work with these things and move closer into a, a greater balance, I think, with these things. Totally agree. I think that uh, the physical practices are why this is why we're, they're there the idea of meditation. I spent so many hours meditating and in the meditation, what I was actually doing was unpacking my shit mentally and emotionally. And there was processing going on while I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just clearing my mind and breathing, clearing my mind and breathing and hating it every step of the way, a lot of the time, but I'm doing the practice and the whole idea of emptying the vessel is great and all, but I don't actually think that's the reason that I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I'm actually trying to understand the things that make me tick. And then once I actually understand it, then I can recognize when I'm feeling this certain gripping sensation inside, I can recognize, oh, it's because I have this mental story over here that actually is tied to that. So what is bringing that up? Oh, and then I go down that little rabbit hole and I look at where that's coming from and I trace it all the time back to my childhood. And, you know, there's usually some relationship to my parents or my siblings or a bad experience I had or some trauma. And then I will unpack that. And, you know, and that takes however long it takes. Some of those, those tracebacks have taken years and I'm still doing that work. And again, like you said, I'll, there's certain pillars of wounding that I will probably carry with me until I'm six feet under, but I'm damn, damn well doing my best to get through as much as possible in this lifetime because I want to be as clean as I can when I, when I go to my grave and I want to be able to give as much clarity as I can to the people in my life. And that is a pillar for me. It's, it matters to me. And I know that that's not everybody's gig, but it's mine. And so that's why I'm passionate about this topic and, you know, the pieces that it's taken to get there. And so I think a physical practice, whether it's walking your dogs and being in your body and noticing the emotional reality and the physical reality or getting on your yoga mat or lifting heavy shit, or it doesn't have to be sitting on a cushion, but there has to be space for stillness. There has to be a recognition of something bigger than you. And there has to be some relating to yourself, like breathing or monitoring your mind's eye or tracing through your landscape or journaling. Like there has to be some access point to inner workings, I think. Oh yeah, I agree. And I think those are good starting points. I mean, all of, all of the things we've talked about through this book are, they, they have to have that part. You can't just be in the mind. You can't just be in the body. Like you have to, you have to learn how to navigate your own internal roadmap, which is unique to you. And only, you know, like, I don't really like to journal. Sometimes I do, but I don't really like to do it. It doesn't really do much for me. So I don't do it, but I have other things that really help me with that processing, whatever's happening inside of me. So we have to, and for years I avoided my physical practice was just bendy 
performative because then I didn't have to feel anything <laughs> except my back pain after 10 years of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> there, you know, that it doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be. And I think honestly, it can't really be massive until you're skilled. It has to be small. Um, I can do it in triathlon a little bit, or I, I was getting pretty good at it, but it's also a really easy place to hide if you're doing really super hard things, you know, like, so you get to do that. That's, that's your work. You get to find out like, what is it that makes me tick? What is it that gives me an access point? Where, where do I get to start to really be honest about what I'm feeling inside of me and what, what I'm not feeling inside of me as well. Like for me, that was a, a big thing, like the armoring and the numbing and the, you know, tuning out and just disappearing. So there's different ways. And you and I are so opposite in those ways. Right. So there is a million places in between that as well, but spending some time in quiet again at coming back to the space right of like you can't fill up every waking moment you will never find contentment then you will never know what that feels like no no because the the soul or that grounded point that set point in us whatever you see it as if it's your inner self or your true self or your center that place is quiet because that place doesn't have anything to say. It moves in a different language than words and sound. And, you know, it travels inside of all of those things, but it's not that. Yeah. It doesn't have words. We can't talk about it. So like, it's, you know, yeah. it, it's more ethereal than that. So it requires space and stillness and quiet to come alive. And that's why yoga is, can be a way in, like even the physical practice, because often it's quiet and it's slow and you're focusing on your breathing. And there's this sort of entry point, as long as you're not doing it from a performative standpoint, because if you're in performative, you're not even in your body. Most of the time you're typically in your mind, right? You're in your ego. So, and it's, and then it's all the filters that we put on top of it that make it mean whatever it means, right? Like we're good people or something. Cause we can put our feet behind our head or <laughs> yeah. yeah, all the things that you attach to it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's when you do start to experience that unchanging piece of yourself, when you get to get to know it and you get to cultivate some kind of relationship with that, you do really see that it's, it's unaffected by all of the things around you the new car or the, the great job or losing 10 pounds or having the perfect partnership. Like it cares not about those things. <laughs> those That's just noise. That's just background noise. And it will not bring you to the place of contentment. It may give you a burst of excitement or, you know, some joyful emotion or whatever you get from the thing or from achieving the thing, but it that's impermanent. It doesn't, it, it doesn't stay. And the inner, part of you is unchanged by it, whether you get it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, it reminds me in Deb's book where she talks about everything is neutral. So mm -hmm. people, places, things, the weather it's neutral and it only becomes something because we overlay that with our filter or our narrative and then make it not neutral. Yep. And yeah. so I think the soul is the same. It's like, and the soul, I mean, I'm not saying the soul is neutral, but it is equanimous, right? It has an equanimity about it that doesn't, it's not a, it's not um, attached to happiness nope. and it's not attached to sadness, but it will hundred percent embody the feeling of happiness and joy and 100% embody and feel the sadness and melancholy that are, you know, living in opposition and in direct relationship all the time in our lives 
if we let it, if we be with it and allow our actions in our life to relate with our being, as opposed to just living over here in the, in the action, action, action. And the being is like way down the road. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. So a couple of tools that we talked about is this idea of this too shall pass. So sometimes even saying that to ourselves can be really helpful in a moment that feels like it's like, I've said that a lot about my health stuff. Like after I did the triathlon last year, I flared up really badly. And I, I was almost saying it daily, like this too will pass. This flare up isn't going to last forever. You just did a triathlon. Like, don't forget what you've just done. You know, it doesn't go away because right now you're struggling to get up the stairs. You know, so that I found is a really powerful practice that anyone can do. You can say the words, even if you don't fucking believe it, like just say it. (laughs) I promise it will, it will pick up some credibility as you go along because it will pass. That's just, yeah. Yeah. Or it will change. Something will change. It won't be the same forever. So you can guarantee it will, it will morph somehow. Um, And then the gratitude practice that you were speaking of at the beginning, like really, truly finding a daily practice of saying thank you to your life, you know, in, in whatever way you can find access. Mm. It's a super powerful practice. Deb, I think calls it the thank you game in the book, but you know, really. Such a beautiful way. If you incorporate it into your, into your home or with your people, your tribe, to like really get a sense of what's going on for people, what they're grateful for tells you a lot about who they are, you know, and it's, it's another way to really connect truth, truly with people that we care about. Totally does. It's being one of the most intimate connectors of my life, like really Mm -hmm. understanding gratitude, like even changing my yoga classes to thanking my students at the end, instead of saying namaste, and really embodying that thankfulness and asking, asking for it to come through me as I'm teaching the class. And at the end, yeah. when I say it, like, it, it really has ch- changed the level of in- intimacy amongst everybody in the class and myself. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a real thing. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a practice just like anything else. Like you said, like you still struggle with it. It's, it's not, it's not necessarily that you're going to feel this deep, profound thankfulness right off the top. Like it doesn't have to be that big a deal, but you can thank the cashier when you get your groceries and you can actually mean it. These are really simple things you can start to consider in your life that actually change the brain chemistry for your day. Absolutely. Um, I think the other things we talked about is thinking about other people first. So taking the perspective of another in relationship to your own experience and perspective and then recognizing that there's bodying and then there's thinking or minding. <laughs> and <laughs> you have to look at both of those pieces to uncover our discontent and to learn how to trace the disturbances back to ourselves. Yeah. And you talked a lot about that too, tracing it back and being responsible, self-responsible instead of mm-hmm. self-important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's fine line sometimes. <laughs> <There is. laughs> sometimes they go hand in hand. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes they do, you know, and yeah. I, yeah, they do yeah. it's part of growing up, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I have a quote from Deb that we can close on if you want. Yeah. Deb says when action is complete in the moment and the process is enjoyed for the pure joy of the process, action becomes being and being becomes contentment. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. a good reminder. It's a mm-hmm. good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just so easy to, it's just so easy to be discontent. I don't know. It's just, it's so easy. It's just, it's slippery. It's right there all the time. When you scroll and you compare yourself or you're in another city and you're comparing yourself or whatever it is, like, it's just, it's just, it's the bear trap. That's like always there. You have to be so present. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I, I've looked at this so much when I look at old people and I've talked to you about this. If you don't do any work, you just do what life tells you to do. Like the baseline of, of cultural, the cultural current tells you to do, you're going to be a curmudgeon. We will all be curmudgeons. If we just do that, if we don't, if we don't go against the grain on some level, fighting the impulses of the negativity bias that is programmed in us, that will lead us down the path of cranky and cantankerousness over and over right? Then that's what we end up being. Cause we have way more road run on the negative side than we do on any other sides. Mm-hmm. So it is a bear trap. Like we, we have to choose to engage with it on the regular and then it does change, but it's an active practice. It's like riding a bike or, you know, exercising. If you stop, you regress. And if you get back on, then you go forward. It, it is the same, same thing, right? Yeah. So this is an, this is an active choice to live a life that builds joy instead of builds stories that. Yeah. This is the great narrative interrupter, really. Like if you can get this one dialed in this and find a way for you to work with it, whatever that is, this can really stop your narratives in their tracks. And I think the gratitude piece of it is, is it such an easy door to go in, even if it feels a little bit elusive and like, you're not, it's not a, a super, you know, comfortable practice for you. If you just start with that, it's a pretty easy door to go in. It's a pretty easy door to stop and like, think about something that you are actually grateful for in your life. There's something about that practice. I don't know. It just, it changes. It just changes the tone in the moment, in the present. It just, it can stop that, that negative, whatever is happening for me, like instantaneously. Oh yeah. No sorry. We're not doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And the other that stops it immediately for me is wonder. So Mm -hmm. being able to go into a childlike place or a place of curiosity that is wondrous. I, if you have kids, it's easier for you because use your children because they do this. Kids just spontaneously draw wonder into their being on the, on the regular you just have to look for it. And if you're out with your kids, just watch it and then imbibe that, take that in from them because it's a gift. Right. And we have it too. We just, we forget as we get older and the grind takes over. And so I think that is also a really beautiful doorway back to gratitude because when you feel wonder, what's the first thing you feel, you're just so damn grateful for being alive and like the beauty that's all around and the breath in your lungs and whatever. So yeah, I think those two go, go well together. Yeah, raising children and having a day home was one of the, it was like a rebirth for me in a really hard time in my life too, where I would, I would literally just watch what kids were looking at (laughs) and watch how they looked at things and just be a kid again. And it really, it does change things. It makes life just seem a little bit simpler, a little bit more joyous and just less complicated. Mm -hmm. 
well. And I think you're ending it on a very appropriate mm -hmm. note. It is about simplicity when we break it down. It's, it's these simple realities that we live inside that make us happy or make us feel contented. Whereas when we get all complicated and we make things bigger, we have the too muchness of all the things, it's very complicated. It's hard for our being to hold all of that. And so then we don't, and it leaks everywhere. And then that stresses us out and causes messes and chaos. And there we fall into the discontent, right? In there, you can spin there for the rest of your life. Totally. And then be your conscience, like you said, one day. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> no one of you. No curmudgeons. Mm -mm. No way, man. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So I have a question. Okay. If you had to live as an animal for one year, which one would you choose and why? Speaking of seeing the world through another lens. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Absolutely. I would be an elephant. 100% because I've always adored them and related with them on some weird level. And I think when, you know, this is such an appropriate question now that I think about it, because I was talking about being a sensitive person. And when I think about the level of sensitivity with which I live in my life and in my being and my body and like the emotional movement that happens in me when I'm like watching something so simple go down and I'm just like, you know, I think that's how elephants see the world. I, that's mm. how it's felt. It's like their level of sentience is kind of like dolphins. They're just like, it's way higher than we could ever imagine it is because we don't have that. And I feel like, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant at all when I say this, but like, I have a level of sensitivity that a lot of people in my life do not, they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like they don't have it. And I feel like elephants have that. And so I would love to experience it through their being. I'd love to be that fucking big and grounded and steady and like anchored and just like, I can shit kick things if I want to. So how about you don't mess with me? Like that would feel really, really good. Yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah, I love it. My desire to be like Rah, a little bit. Um, but there's, they're also so gentle in so many ways. I mean, they can be very fierce, right? But the like matriarchal way in which their their families are structured is very appealing to me. Um, the the beauty of the way they move together and care for their young and just the silliness. They're a bunch of clowns. Like elephants can be really silly and just very sweet. And um, you know, obviously, if I was going to do it for a year, I would sacrifice myself and I would take out a bunch of poachers in the end if I was only going to last. Oh, nice. <laughs> I do Love some it. damage because, you know, I got to save my yeah. So Yeah. Um, that's how I would go down for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Just like in a blaze of glory. Gotcha. You gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> perfection. That's just the perfect one. For me, I would be a panda bear. I'm kind of obsessed with panda bears right now. I, so, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> panda bears make me laugh nonstop. So if I have a bad day, I just watch panda videos because <laughs> they are ridiculous. I don't when watching a panda bear roll down a hill. Like I can't get enough of it. Watching a panda bear eat a carrot. Can't get enough of it. I just, it brings me to tears. They're so cute. Like I just, I, there's something <laughs> <laughs> I love 
how we embrace their roundness, which we don't do in our culture. We do not embrace the roundness of the body. So there's something about the, the poofy, squishy, I don't know. I just, I, I just love them so much. And I think they're just hilarious. Like they fall out of things and they don't seem to care. <laughs> they, just, they just keep on rolling, man. They just eat, like watch a panda bear eat something. I could waste half my life watching those reels. Like I have to cut myself off, but there's something joyful and lighthearted and just kind of like, just just rolling. I mean, animals are the best teachers for this kind of thing. They, they, they don't care what people are wearing on Instagram or what car you drive. Like there's, they really are great teachers for us, but I think, yeah, I just, something about being silly and, and joyous all the time is very appealing to me because I love that part of my life. I love the silliness in my life. And I just feel like I would just rock that for a year. I would just have so much fun. <laughs> oh yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah. And I would bust down some zoos too. If I was, if I was in captivity, I would hopefully be in the wild somewhere. Yeah. You'd like to be a wild panda. I'd like to be a wild panda. Oh, save some of the captive pandas. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Just picture you opening up the gates. Hey guys, come on, way. Stay free. Let's go roll down this hill over here. <laughs> oh God. Watching them roll down hills is hilarious. <laughs> Jamie does send me quite a few Instagram reels of panda bears rolling downhill. So when I am not able to sleep at night and I revert to my telephone, I get panda bear reels to help me laugh my way to bed, which is awesome. I love it. Don't ever. Yeah, I laugh so hard. I cry usually when I watch them. <laughs> All right. We're going to post that. I want to know what, what animal you would like to be. This is a nice, easy question. Yeah. It's yeah. a fun question. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. And it tells us a little bit about you or a lot about you. <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. It's cool symbolism and like what your mission is in your life a little bit. Right. Cause it's sort of, yeah, so it's cool. I like that. <laughs> All right. All right, friends. Well, that wraps us up for today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation about Santosha and uh, we look forward to hearing any and all observations or reflections, whatever's come up for you through listening to these episodes and uh, please engage with us on Instagram. That's what we're there for. And we want to hear from you. So tell us who you're going to be for a year as an animal and we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening guys. Ciao that's a wrap. We sure hope you've enjoyed this episode. Linz and I are committed to a no edit recording as we want the conversation to be as authentic as possible. We have a big vision of a transparent and fully expressed world and allowing ourselves to be heard uncensored feels integral to that pursuit. In addition, our mission is to wake up, shake up and raise up all authentic voices and cultivating a collective community of rebels on purpose. We are honored to invite you to join the circle and to share your rebel voice in our community. Community is built and sustained through participation. So circle up and engage with us on Instagram at Rebels on Purpose. If you enjoyed the show today, please drop us a review as this helps us widen our circle and lets us know what you'd like to hear. And lastly, from our fiery hearts to yours, we call you to speak up, be curious, and call forward the sacred rebel that birds inside of you. What the world needs is humans who are fully alive, living a life on purpose, and honoring all that is sacred. <laughs>